everybody, and welcome back to the You're Not Welcome Here podcast by Ecomatic. For this episode, we are excited to introduce Waylon Ryan, Sustainability and Policy Manager at Visit Durango. In this position, Waylon is a key leader in engaging with the local community and is responsible for creating and implementing new sustainable tourism and destination management programs for La Plata County. Through his work, Waylon helps to guide the future direction of Visit Durango and the local tourism industry, considering the environment, local economy, and culture. Season one has been all about defining sustainable tourism and its different iterations. And today we will be speaking with Waylon about community engagement. So welcome Waylon. Before we begin with our questions, do you mind telling our listeners a little bit more about you, where you're from, and your background? Absolutely, thank you, Jacqueline. Uh, my name is Waylon Ryan. I was born and raised actually here in La Plata County, uh, so I had that pleasure. I was long background in theater, and then I, you know, decided to make the change into tourism because one of my first jobs was tourism as a rap guide, and so just that upbringing, living in a tourism town, I got really used to used to that and didn't think anything of it. Decided to get away, but really just drew me back in because I. Right up here, got to see all the positives it brought, but also a lot of the negatives. So went back, got my master's in sustainable tourism from Arizona State University, uh, and then, you know, worked my way, continued education, got other certificates, and finally landed this job about a year ago with Visit Durango when they were looking to make that transition into a destination management and marketing organization to add that extra M and really look at the impacts of uh, visitors that they brought into La Plata County. That's super helpful and welcome, Waylon. We're excited to have you with us. So for our international listeners that may not know where Durango is or La Plata County is, can you tell us in Colorado where it is in relation to the other big destinations, just for positioning first? Absolutely. So we are in the southwest corner of the state, our county is, and we're. if you look on a map of the United States, you'll have the four corners, which are Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Oh man, I only said three. Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and Utah. And if you look at where those four interconnect, Durango is about two and a half, three hours away from that. So we are ideally situated. We have the mountains right there within a 45 minute drive. I can be up at 11,000 feet and three hours. I can be in the Utah desert or I can be in the Arizona desert, you know, arches and all that. So we're not easy to get to in Colorado. We're about eight hours from Denver. Um, four hours from Albuquerque, New Mexico. But once you get here, uh, there's a lot to do in the outdoors. Great stuff. So can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do and the different organizations that you're involved with? I know you mentioned Visit Durango, um, but I think you also work with the Sherpa Institute. So if you could just tell us a little bit more about your roles there and what those different organizations do. Yeah, so I'm involved in a couple organizations. My day job is with Visit Durango. I've also been a board member of the Sustainability Alliance of Southwest Colorado for about seven years now. So we're kind of the networking hub in Durango. There's a ton of nonprofits, especially in the uh, environmental outdoor sector. So we have the last Thursday of every month, something called Green Drinks, where we all get together. The public can learn about different projects, different volunteer efforts going on by the different organizations. It's a time for the organizations to network, catch up, see what what they've been up to, if there's any crossover they can help each other with. And we have a couple other programs we run with that. So I've been with that longstanding. And then I got involved with the Sherpa Institute 
quite a while ago, I guess now three, four, four, four years ago. And they have a couple different projects, but they originally started as a think tank and adapting domain Six Sigma practices into sustainability for corporations and training them to hold uh, continual improvement and social responsibility to green up their operations. So I got some certifications through them and they started to, they were approached by uh, a press that wanted to release books on the SDGs for corporations on how they can incorporate those practices into their business operations. And so they thought of me to reach out with 8.9 in particular, which is sustainable tourism. So I've been working with them to write a chapter in the SDG 8 book. And so that one right now is uh, undergoing final editing impressive, Waylon. I, I had no idea about that. That's in incredible work that you're doing there. So it sounds like you have a variety of experience. So not only kind of on the, the practitioner side, but also, you know, there's, there's certainly some scholarly research that's happening there too. So um, I also, I read somewhere that you had a background in IT as well. So I'm curious, what drove you to pursuing a career in tourism and why sustainable tourism? So, and have you always had an interest in sustainability or did it just kind of come there after your study? So how did you, how did you get here? Uh, so as far as, you know, again, growing up here, my first job was working in two first jobs. Uh, so one was working as a raft guide. So I did that for about 10 years. And then also at the same time, because Durango and having to make a couple jobs as a, you know, young 18 year old and in the hustle, uh, was also working at the rodeo, parking cars, picking up trash afterwards. So both very much first jobs in tourism. And so I was just always around it. Durango is a tourism town. Yes, we do have a college and we also have some manufacturing. But for the most part, tourism really drives our economy and has for quite a while. And that brings people here and people end up, you know, sometimes staying here because they're like, oh, I love being on the river and rafting. So I just grew up around it as far as the sustainability my uncle uh, was a river ranger for 20, no, 30, 40 years with the BLM. And so a lot of trips with him. I was taught Leave No Trace at a very young age. I remember rafting down the San Juan in middle school. And it was like one of the very first books they actually published. I still have it somewhere on one of my bookshelves. It's this like oddly green colored, like a weird kind of powdery green colored book. Um, very basic black and white pictures. Uh, it's very early in their principles, but it's, you know, um, so this just kind of always grew, grew up around it. And I uh, was a Boy Scout. I'm an Eagle Scout. So, you know, very much respecting nature, taking care of nature the way we were taught here in this area. And so it just grew up out in nature. Sustainability has always been in the forefront. So it really made sense when I was kind of reconsidering career changes, like, you know, being burnout, being inside, like, well, how do I get outside or how do I at least protect when I am outside? What, what, how can I give back to where I like to be when I'm not having to do the daily grind? And so I started looking around thinking maybe forestry or, or a degree like that and found out, you know, that Arizona state had this thing in sustainable tourism. I was like, well, I've had tourism jobs. I, I know about visitors and I have sustainability. It seems like a, a kind of a good marriage. And with some of my background in IT and theater and having to collaborate. I was like, this seems like a good fit. And yeah, now I have this, this job and kind of the rest is history. And I'm, you know, very much enjoying where I am at life in life. It's really funny that you say that because actually how I fell into sustainability and travel 
as a career path was because I recognized that I loved sustainability and travel separately and decided to combine them as a career. Um, and once I found that industry, I was really enlightened and really excited to find it. Um, so my next question is that a large part of your focus at Visit Durango is engaging with the local community. So in your opinion, why do you believe that engaging with the community is just as important in ensuring a sustainable experience and destination? So a lot of it has to do with my personal experience uh, growing up here in Durango and being on, on the other end of being like, oh, these visitors, they're too much, they're overcrowding, they're not being respectful, uh, and really being like, you know, all the, all the business owners care about is making their money, and they don't listen to the locals, they don't care what we think. Um, so a lot of that kind of grew out of that. And so I'm a big advocate that you need to listen to the community and see what they want. A, a prime example I like to bring up is uh, I did my dissertation on night skies and dark skies because growing up here, we have wonderful dark skies. And so it's kind of always been a big passion of mine going out, you know, looking up, being able to see Orion's belt, being able to see these different stars and the Pleiades and all these fun things. So, but that's my personal passion. And yeah, now I'm in a position where I can just go and attack that and start making moves to, to maybe get Durango certified um, in dark skies. But that might not be what our residents want. So I'm a bit in, you know, again, it's still that, that disconnect being like, Oh, visit Durango or the business owners are only doing this because of X, Y, and Z. So I really think that with destinations, you need to start by talking to the community and listening to the community and not even necessarily from a tourism lens, just being like, what are your biggest needs? What are your biggest worries? What are your biggest fears? Not even with tourism, just in general, because a lot of times you'll be surprised how what we do in the visitor realm and tourism realm can actually fit in and support um, some of these opportunities or these strengths or, or maybe help mitigate some risks and, and possibly even, you know, thinking forward featuring, being innovative. Maybe you can even get some cool destination items out of them that make you a little bit more competitive than, you know, in Durango's case, other mountain towns in Colorado. Totally. And that makes a lot of sense. So then what are the different ways that you do engage with the community and how do you involve them in decision-making policy planning and your day-to-day -day work? So a couple of things that we we've done and I just ended like a 10 month, uh, community engagement program. Cause that was really to, to get out there, let them know that if this is a different visit Durango, that we are listening to them uh, and that we want their voices heard. So I started by doing some stakeholder identification, splitting them up into different categories. So I had two hour long workshops in 12 different categories. And then I'd invite people. So like I might have the education category, have all the schools, higher ed, all there at the table. So we had two hour long workshops in those categories. And then with the, the residents at large, with them, I had a pared down version of that at one hour long. And I went th all throughout the county and these, you know, listening workshops. Um, and a lot of places, like I said, we have one of the larger counties in Colorado. So we have one area that's green, that's an hour from outside of kind of town. There's, it's very ag at once you get outside of Durango. So a lot of them aren't going to come in, especially after a long day on their ranch or their farm. Uh, and, you know, that particular night actually it was, it was snowing. So, you know, I made the choice to go out and reach out and meet them where they are instead of making them come to us. So that's a lot of it. But having this and then just having these conversations with them 
So that was one prong I took, and that one is currently ended, and we'll probably end up revisiting that um, in a future date just to make sure we're we're getting that. But with that one, we asked them a lot of very, like I said, non-tourism-specific questions, but asking them about what do you think some of the greatest economic, environmental risks are in Durango or Blood County? What are some of our social risks? And really kind of digging in, um, you know, and so what are opportunities? What are some strengths? And so it was really interesting because one of the risks we saw in one of the rural areas, which surprised me coming from farm was, again, and this is something interesting for us to take in is like, well, we don't have good broadband. I'm like, okay, well, I wouldn't have thought of that as an issue, especially because you're a rancher. Well, that's interesting. Well, they they actually do some business stuff out there and broadband really helps now with the way they're trying to, to update their business. Well, that's good for Visit Durango to know. Um, and maybe there's some support we can give them further down the road or when, you know, municipalities or the counties looking at how can we get broadband, maybe there's, there's something we can do to help them out. Or maybe we can make sure that, Hey, have you looked over at this County, this part of the County, maybe they need it first. So really just listening. And then of course, a lot of tourism stuff did come up, but that was all one branch. So the other branch is ongoing. Uh, and that is we've partnered, we've, partnered with or found out um, about Citizen Lab, which is a piece of software we're using with community engagement online. Um, their whole model is they really trying to have that two-way street between residents and municipalities. So they're actually designed for municipalities. They're used by a bunch of uh, cities, but I've basically adapted that software to be used for our residents. So that way we can get their, their take on stuff. So one of the very first projects that I put on there was a uh, county gems to keep hidden. So that was a little project that we had because um, we have a list of places that we don't advertise, uh, a couple of them because of just huge environmental impacts. But I was like, let's expand that list. So we have that we had about four four items on there. So I put this item on there, let it run for about a month and a half, and let residents put in places they want to see, like uh, don't send people here, don't send people here. So took all that feedback, gathered that, and then I reached out to the land managers of these different areas. So if it was Forest Service or BLM, had that conversation with them. Is this a good one to add? Is it not? Um, and so once I had that conversation with the land managers, using the platform, I was able to go out and, and respond to the, to the users who had suggested those different items and say, yes, we're adding it to the list um, because of X, Y, and Z, or in some cases, because the land managers said we actually do want people to go there. Um, and so I'd respond back saying, hey, we are actually not going to put it on list because of these X, Y, and Z reasons. And so then that way there was that dialogue. And if they wanted to continue it, they could. Um, and so that that's a big part of it is using looking for that, that software really is helping. Now we have that continuing thing. So partly transparency, we can put this, um, put all these information on there as we're working on projects, publishing it, but also having these, these more interactive projects that we can really get input and making sure that we're, we're hearing the voice, not just when we're having, you know, a tabling event or going around and having these, these events that you have to be at. And then the other part of that was that we have a, a large population of Latinx um, people here. So I wanted to make sure that it was fully translated. So we also make sure everything that goes on that website is fully translated and that, you know, it's very easy with that particular company. They have a bunch of 
uh, languages that you can do. So that way all their menu items are, are translated and then we have to fill out the translated material that we're putting up, but it allows us to, to reach those other communities as well, which, you know, I will say it's not perfect. We're still definitely reaching out with our community and it's continuing ongoing work, but for one year attempt, considering what it used to be, I think we're leaps and bounds beyond where we were. But, you know, I think we still have a long way to go to where I'll be satisfied that we're really hearing everyone's input that needs to be heard. Raylan, you raised, I think, like, some of the words that you said, I just think are so important, like the idea of transparency, the continuity of the feedback, right? So it's funny because I think in different destinations I've heard, oh, we've had a town hall. I'm like, cool, one town hall. One year is not going to like help, you know, with the tourism policy for, you know, the next 10 years. I really admire the approach. It's comprehensive and it's looking at, like you said, a wide range and diversity of stakeholders and meeting them in different areas. So I think it's I, I really admire and I think it's a it's a great model for really, really meaningful community feedback. I think that's the other thing that when you were talking about this, like you had mentioned, like the idea of broadband it's something that wouldn't have come to mind for you, like necessarily, but it's, it's a barrier for some people. And it's funny because where I'm from the Adirondacks, it was a similar issue that people were complaining that tourists were complaining about broadband connection. And so a lot of it's satellite Wi-Fi, and they had no connection. So it is interesting how those topics that affect locals and the local community also affect the tourism experience. But if, if you're not taking the time to truly include all stakeholder voices you wouldn't know how that affects the tourism system on multiple levels. So I have a few follow-up questions for you regarding Citizen Lab and kind of your approach. And then um, Jacqueline also, I think, has a question about some like the community reps. So with Citizen Lab, so is that, that software, it sounds like, is that internal? Meaning, so when you're collecting this data from the community, it's, it's internally that you use it for policy and planning, or is it external? Like, if I was a community member, can I log on and be like, ooh, everyone feels the same about this issue or something? So how, like, how does it function? So it has the functionality of both. Um, so there are, you can hold, like, you know, surveys on there and input surveys up. And so obviously I'm gathering that data. It's going to me. It's not being public seen but there are public polls. There's a lot of interesting software, which is part of the reason I went with them. They have with that places to keep hidden. It's actually an interactive map where you could go and pin it. So you could see where everyone else is pinned mm -hmm. and you could comment on those pins. They could thumbs up, thumbs down those pins. So they could actually, the community can have a conversation as well with each other. They have other stuff like participatory budgeting, which I'm hoping to get, use that feature wow. here soon and then in with coming in the next coming year and some items. Um, but, you know, again, it's it's still we haven't fully utilized its capabilities. So it's something that we need to do right now. It's kind of hybrid. We're leaning more towards that um, transparency side of, of timelines on projects and showing like what we're doing and, and doing report outs. Uh, but, you know, as I get a little more bandwidth, hopefully over this coming year, I'll have some more more like that county gyms keep it. And we're going to have more of those participatory items but people can still comment even on on those readouts when they say something like oh hey did you not include that or whatever we can still get that feedback from them on that software and with citizen lab it wasn't designed you had mentioned it wasn't designed for designed for a tourism context but you adapted it to that is that right like it was just designed for community engagement in general yeah mainly for municipalities they're really targeting and going after the, the city sector so city of uh, um, 
I think like Lancaster, Pennsylvania is there and they're mainly European based. So they have a lot of uh, European based cities. I think like Salzburg might be on there. Uh, no, don't quote me on that. Uh, I don't know their customer list, but they do have a lot of those where they've taken those and cities are using it to like ask about, you know, road upgrades or transportation sectors or parks and, you know, that sort of thing. So for mm. their community development and community um, building there, they're really asking different things and using that. So I saw that and I was like, well, tourism's kind of like its own type of city and we operate within a county and a municipality. So why can't we take that and adapt it? We still have very important stakeholders, which are the residents that live here who matter. So why can't we just use that and adapt it? Um, so that's kind of, kind of what I did is, uh, this is maybe my IT background coming in, but uh, because I think tourism uh, in general is lacking a lot of these these tools that are being developed at the for the, the businesses or the municipalities, there's some way you can think just shift your thinking. I think a little bit and and really adapt these existing tools to come up with something that is at least ser serviceable to to meet an end goal. I completely agree with what you just said about the lack of kind of you know integration of technology and not having the tools to, to, to track and kind of really um, utilize meaningful community engagement. I, one example that comes to mind, and I think it, it's just funny because I've met with several destinations that have the same issue. They have that archaic, you know, post-it note thing. We've done the, you know, thing in the town hall, but they don't, they don't even like keep track of it. It's like, they might take a picture of it and then who knows who has that on their camera. So it's like, we're living in 1982 with the way that we're engaging the community. And we have so much more technology to, to keep that, you know, and use it actively. So the example I was going to share, so in the Adirondacks, they were, again, I'm from, they continuously host town halls. And like, they, they, they don't, again, it's living on someone's phone and information lives internally. And there is such a benefit to sharing that more broadly and internally for policy also to remind yourself, oh, I remember, you know, when we did that assessment, like, the, you know, it's, and the fact that you said that interactive map, it actually sounds like a safe space, different than social media to provide feedback in a constructive way that can influence in tourism policy and planning. So I'm, I'm very excited to like learn more about like kind of the cost and just details of this, you know, with Citizen Lab. So we'll be sure to provide the listeners like a link, you know, to the resource for this, because I think that, you know, destination wide globally, this could be a really interesting tool. So I'm super grateful you brought this up, Waylon. Cost-wise, is it, you know, do you pay on an annual basis or is it like, like how, what's the pay structure for it? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. So you pay on an annual basis. Um, and it's like most um, software as services, as they call it nowadays, there's, there's different tier structures. Um, so depending on that depends on your size, I think on how many residents are in your area. Um, so I think that's how they, they tier it. So based on if you're this resident size, so that way, in theory, if you're a smaller municipality, um, you can, it, and you have less of a tax base, it's more affordable and you can actually afford it versus like, you know, a larger one, then you have more, more tax base to, to afford it. So that's how their pricing structure huh. works. That's an interesting, it's a smart model. That's a very smart model of you know, <laughs> charge. So I'm really excited to look further into that. So thanks. Speaking on that, how do you identify community reps within the community that are willing to be outspoken and provide a local voice um, in tourism authority in Durango? And how do you identify them? 
Yeah, so a couple different things, uh, I guess, on that, a couple different approaches. Again, with Citizen Lab, that is open to any county resident. Um, you know, I really want all residents on there. You know, if I could have 3% of all residents that live in Mapata County on there, that would just make me entirely happy because um, that's a good good representative sample size. So anyone, again, is open to, to join on Citizen Lab. So as far as getting the word out, um, you know, anytime I'm at, I, I've made little little flyers with QR codes that I can hand out at events, but I try and go out and table and interact with the community line. I'm always um, showing that if you want to use that word, uh, you know, in a positive or negative way, I guess. Um, depends, I guess, in this way, I think it's positive because I am really saying, hey, you know, we're not getting any monetarily from it. So just please join this. Be heard. We know you want to be heard. So this is this is where you can do it 24 seven, 365. Um, you don't have to wait to show up at an event that I'm at, you know, so that's um, one thing is making sure that anytime I'm in a live person event or out public speaking on behalf of Visit Durango that I'm I'm making sure that I include it and and always just telling people about it. Um, we've also done a push in our local newspaper, which surprisingly enough, a lot of our residents are still one of the main ways they get their, their news is through our local newspaper or and, and like see what's going on in the community with events. So Definitely pushes on our local newspaper and our local radio station, KSUT. Shout out to them. They're a great public radio station. Um, so, you know, they, they they do great with community. So you're pushing that out. They have a lot of listeners. So there's a lot of that. Again, like I said, it's not quite where I want it. So we still have more work to do on that. But it has been a slow buildup. And we, we see spikes and stuff. Um, one of the things that helped is we had uh, who we had a big... I can't think of the country star's name, but we had a big country star come here. So I did do a push with a sweepstakes to get uh, locals to join. So I said, hey, um, if you join, I'll, we'll give you two tickets to this, this show. So we bought two tickets. And, and so that, that actually helped quite a bit, get a big boost um, in, in uh, locals on the platform. Uh, and then we gave those up to two, two lucky winners. And they were, they were ecstatic about that. And they had a good time, apparently. So I'm glad, glad that they got good concert uh, out of that. So that was one way um, that, you know, that I thought was pretty, pretty nice. And the marketing guys came up with that. So that's kind of using that marketing for good. They're like, Oh, well, we run sweepstakes for visitors. I'm like, Oh, can we do that for local? Like, Oh yeah, we can do that. So um, that was great. You know, really integrating that with the marketing department there to, to pay off our locals to save them 120 bucks or whatever it was and have let them have a good couple hours. And then on my side, getting more, more engagement, more input on, on that platform. So that's on the platform side, as far as like the, the, that prog that big project I went through with identifying key stakeholders, that one's a little bit different. A lot of that was just using my local knowledge of being on the board of Sasco um, and just kind of growing up here, really looking out. So did I have, I invited over 150 different organizations to these, to these um, stakeholder work groups in the different sections, um, you know, and could I invite them all? No, it wasn't realistic. You know, going forward, do I need to reach out and keep reaching out to some of these organizations? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a continuing work, but I always make sure like to let, these different organizations know, you know, please, please reach out. If, if you know someone else that works somewhere else, let them reach out if they're curious. So that's, you know, just making sure that I'm being, being that, you know, I'm, I'm saying, Hey, we are open. I am asking for this and, and it's up to you if you want to participate, but we'd love to have you.
So I think, again, I, I just think what you did is a really interesting model because it's meeting people where they are. It's encouraging various stakeholders across the board. I'm, I'm, I, my question, though, also is that why do you think on the platform level there's like you're having to encourage engagement? So it's funny because I, I just know in our local community and especially like in global destinations right now, there's so many outspoken people against tourism or against like what's happening in the tourism space. So I'm curious, like, why do you think that there is not more engagement on the platform yet, like to, to have a voice at the table? Um, that's a good question. And I think, I think the answer is twofold. So one, um, visit Durango. I think in most marketing agencies, DMOs um, are very, very good at reaching outward, reaching out, bringing those people in, like come to Durango X, Y, and Z, right? But I think it's a lot harder for us to adapt. And, and I'm no specialist in communication. My background is not in communication or, or marketing or any of that. So it's how do you like change that machine to, to get your locals and to reach the locals, um, you know. And so I think part of that is just still figuring that out. Um, and, you know, I still talk to people that are like, what does Visit Durango do? And like, really? Okay. Um, you know, so there's <laughs> even that. Like, we still have that with locals. They don't, they don't know. They're like, or they're confused. They think we're part of the city, which we're not part of the city. Um, you know, or they think we only represent the city. So there's definitely a lot of education still that we're working on. So I think that's part of it. Um, it's just figuring out how to reach their their ears. And then, honestly, I think the second part is just some of the the mentality in the area. Um, you know, if it, there's something you have to, it's almost like once you get to a certain point of being riled up, then you're going to go to that meeting. Then you're going to go to that city hall, that mm. county commissioner meeting. Um, but it takes a lot to get there. Otherwise, you're just going to kind of complain within your circles. And, I mean, I'm guilty of this, too, in, in different things. So, um <laughs> so I think that's, I think it's kind of a cultural thing, but I also think part of it is just uh, Visit Durango really needing to reflect uh, how we can better educate and reach out to our, our local community. So along those lines, like, have you seen any pushback on tourism in that area? You know, is there, I, I know you mentioned that there's some, you know, if there's a particular issue that people kind of, you know, go to the platform or potentially provide feedback in some way, but, you know, have you seen pushback and what does that look like and how did you address it? Um, so I think the, trying to think how to, how to say this. Um, so as far as pushback specifically on the platform, no, we haven't seen any, um, as far as pushback with tourism, we have, that's been more outspoken, uh, some from, from the, uh, kind of, from the, the elected official leader um, perspective. But I think a lot of it is just, um, you know, I'm trying to think it's, you know, if you look at some of the psychological models, it's them kind of lashing out more at the visitors themselves um, rather than necessarily mm. the institutions in place. Um, so, mm. you know, we're of course aware of that. Um, and, you know, we do what we, we can, but it really a lot of it too is like with the, with, funding mechanisms and stuff saying, oh, well, why do we need more tourism when uh, well, we're not necessarily wanting more tourism? Uh, we want, you know, tourism in different times um, or, or whatever the case is. So I think it's just trying to really, um, so that's kind of the pushback we've seen. So, but we've yeah, also, I think, I think seen quite... an equal amount of confusion. Oh, in what way? 
Well, so a big example is when I started reaching out to a lot of the social NGOs um, here in the area, they kind of were very confused as to why I wanted to sit down with them and take two hours out of their time to talk about stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, so I think they were just kind of confused, um, you know, how, What's the how catch? they have yeah. to do with tourism. Um, yeah, yeah, what's, yeah, exactly. What's the catch? So I think there's some of that, too. And again, that that's an education piece that, that we need to work on. Yeah, I think the, the surprise is probably genuine because they're not used to the kind of traditional convention visitors bureaus hearing stakeholder opinions or considering the stakeholder needs or the citizens needs. So it, it is or, you know, yeah. So, yeah, it is kind of a surprise. And yeah, why, why are you doing this? So uh, the last part of that is, you know, what do you think is the best solution to ensure that the local community receives some positive benefits from tourism? And what do you do in your destination to try to make that happen? Yeah, I mean, it's, boy, it's it's hard, because obviously, we, we all know the economic impacts um, that that visitors have. So that's, you know, that's, that's a given. Um, whether whether they realize it or not, but there's you know there needs to be more than that, especially depending on on where you are. Um, you know, with here, our outdoors, our our bread and butter. That's why people come here. They come here for the mountain views. They come here for the the hikes and the skiing. Um, so how do how do you protect that? How do you how do you have them the the residents realize that visitors are giving back in a way that that is meaningful. Um, and honestly, I, I don't have a good answer for that yet. It's something that here we're struggling with and I'm working on. Um, and I'd love to say, oh, I have an answer this year. And then, you know, I probably never will, uh, at least a very good solid answer, but it's something that I'm hoping to, you know, we can continually move towards and, and move the needle, uh, here and there in, in ways that, that makes sense and are respectful of our local, our local culture and, and what the residents want and what the residents are asking for. I said it was the last part of the question, but I lied. But one more, then I'll turn it back to Jacqueline. So sorry, Jacqueline. It just, I have so many, it's so good. Like the, what he's doing with community engagement is so next level. I'm really just, the questions keep coming. So um, I'm way off script, by the way, Waylon. We had drafted out some questions, but I have like, I'm going rogue. So sorry, Jacqueline. And I'll hand it over to you because I know you have some questions too. So um, I'm curious on the policy side. So Jacqueline had asked earlier, kind of from the policy side of things, you know, what your role entails. But I'm curious. So thinking about how you're engaging the community on these various levels, on the various levels, are you seeing tangible results from the policy side from this feedback where you haven't gotten there yet? Meaning like, OK, we collected this and then, you know, we're creating policy to, to change it. Like what's what does that look like? Right. So we haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, so this wrapped up the, the it was about a 10 month long project to really get all gather all this feedback and data. Uh, so I'm getting ready this week to, to publish those results. It's being reviewed right now um, for final review. We'll publish those and then we'll have a, a retreat with our board of directors in April. So that's really where we're going to set a lot of the policies based on feedback from the community and a lot of this stuff is going to go forward. So we're not quite there yet, but in the next month or so, uh, we'll have some, some different changes, um, to the way we knock on wood. We, we operate in some of the things we're looking at going forward on the policy side. Waylon, something that we had discussed, um, before we jumped on this podcast recording was 
that you have been involved with an upcoming water reduction project and that will be underway soon with some of the Durango-based lodging partners. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and then any other location-specific initiatives that you are excited about? Uh, sure. So the, the water reduction one I'm currently working on on with uh, lodging partners to, to pick one or two that want to want to work on me with this. So what that looks like and what that entails is using some of the Domaic Six Sigma methods that were developed by the Sherpa Institute using their, their scissor methodology. So that will be taking one to two lodging partners looking at their current water usage and then trying to reduce that for those one or two. And that, you know, we don't, the whole thing with that, with that methodology is you don't start solving for problems. You identify the problem, you work around some of the things that compound the problem. Then near the last phases was where you use the, uh, what's called the theory of inventive problem solving to really dig in um, and, and come up with inventive solutions. And then, then once you have those solutions, then you, you actually work on the project and do said project. So out of those innovation sessions is what they're called. So out of those innovation sessions, we'll get a pilot program, help the businesses pilot that program. And then if we see a decent or a good chunk of water reduction in that particular business, the plan is then to take that, 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 and that solution that came out of them and then spread it to the other lodging partners in the county um, that are open to it. So that's kind of the way that one is going to work. I did start by going originally to the city to see if it was an issue I had to solve for in the first place. So reaching out to the city sustainability manager saying, Hey, can we identify how much water of our, uh, how much municipal water is being used in the lodging sector is this example. Um, so I had to work with him to really help him identify property addresses. Cause that's something they couldn't tell me. Uh, we have an old antiquated water billing system here. That's kind of pretty automatic. You just it sends, spits out a bill with an address uh, and so that the, the business will say, oh, cool, my water bill this month is X, Y, Z. So had to work with them to go through and actually pull that data. So we did find out, depending on the month, anywhere between 7 and 10% of our water, um, you know, that there is being used by lodging. So that's a decent chunk considering the amount of lodgers lodging we have here. So really seeing what we can do to make an impact since we are in the southwest, we're in the high desert. Uh, and, you know, going forward with climate change, uh, water, I think, is going to be a major issue and drought. Drought, thankfully, this year, hopefully won't be an issue with all the snow we've got. Um, but in the past, it has drought's been an issue. We've seen all over Colorado reservoirs drying up. Uh, thankfully, it hasn't been even though we're, we've been in a drought for a while. We've just have a good watershed where we are. So that's that's really protected us. But, um, you know we don't want to count on that going in forward in the future. So we should be proactive about it now uh, and seeing what we can do in water. Cause that's really what keeps me up at night and out of this community engagement. That's what keeps drought and, and water usage or what keeps a lot of the residents up as well. Um, so. Well, good stuff. The, I'm curious in your uh, perspective. So we talked a lot about some incredible tools and ways to engage the community. So from, for a destination that might be interested in getting started in the type of community engagement that you're talking about, what would you suggest are some good first steps that they can take to do that? Like how do they start the process? I, I think the, the first step is just really looking. And I know we talk a lot about, or 
uh, stakeholder identification, right? But really digging down and having thoughtful conversations and maybe even bringing someone outside of your organization if you have a small organization and what are those stakeholders and, you know, start by looking at categories. So, you know, one of my categories was the environment. So who represents the environment? Okay, let's get those NGOs, um, you know, making sure that, you know, for us, the mountains are a stakeholder. They might be an intangible stakeholder that can't talk, but who can we connect with that are in the mountains every day that see the health of the mountains, right? Um, we do have the college here that is very active. So education was in there. Well, let's not just talk to the college, but who else in the education realm should we be talking to? We have some schools here that uh, are specialized in people with, uh, um, in kids with dyslexia, right? So like making sure that they are at the table because their needs are going to be different from higher ed and making sure that they're, they're heard. So really starting with that stakeholder identification and breaking it down, making sure as many people with very diverse voices are at the table. Uh, but then a lot of times after these conversations happen, I think the next important thing is really doing stakeholder mapping and seeing where all those stakeholders lie. Right? So charting that on an XY graph, graph and saying, how critical are they to your destination success on the y-axis, so low to very critical operating. And then along your x-axis, really having, you know, where where do they fall? Are they in the sabotage? Are they in resistance, confusion, inertia? You want more people into that support and collaboration, but you also, there's that demand side past that. And, you know, if you have someone demanding that, that's also not helpful. So how can you get those people demanding it over to that support collaboration and just looking at your resources and seeing, okay, we have some big problems. What are those big problems we need to solve? Who are the stakeholders that on this chart, how do they help us in this one particular problem? You know, so, and these mapping will be different for every project because uh, your critical success really will change. So with the, the water stuff, the social NGOs are not going to be very critical to success. With some of our workforce or housing issues, those social NGOs jump up to very critical to success. So while the X isn't changing, the Y is. So identifying that, so when you go to these different projects and you're working on these different issues, you know who to reach out to, how to make those connections better, stronger, build that two-way working relationship and that trust so to help move the needle so they're willing to work with you and give you their expertise. We always ask this at the end of our podcast. So playing off of our podcast name, You're Not Welcome Here, what do you believe is not welcome in the world of sustainable travel? And what will what is welcome to you in the years to come? So I think one thing here that we've seen a lot of um, is just disrespect and, and not uh, appreciating the local uh, culture or coming to observe like we're in a zoo. You know, that's kind of disrespectful and just become, be part of it. You know, I think the best way to, to we don't have this issue because we're not a big city, but, you know, a lot of people, they'll get in and Uber from place to place or taxi place to place. Just walk, you know, get in, immerse yourself. You're going to find all these little nooks and crannies you might have missed el elsewhere. And in those nooks and crannies are where the are where the, the real people are and the real culture is, um, you know, off the beaten path. So that's that's, I think, kind of I think kind of answers both. So that's definitely what's not welcome here. But also I think that's what needs to be seen, because when you have that understanding um, you know, and that nook and cranny could be finding a trail you didn't know and going walking on that trail right outside of Durango. And there's there's something to be said for the, the culture of nature and the culture of wild places um, and just what you can learn from being out around no one uh, at all. So, you know, I think that's something I'd like to see more of, more of that respect, because when you respect other 
people, when you respect other the nature, um, I think you're going to want to leave the place better than you found it. And you're going to want to make a, a difference and a positive, have a positive impact. I agree with that. So Waylon, if somebody wanted to connect with you, how would they go about finding you? What's the best way to reach you? Um, so, I mean, I know I'm a millennial, but uh, I don't act like a millennial. I don't have a lot of social <laughs> or anything. I have LinkedIn. So you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn um, or, uh, you know, uh, I think my email address is also out there. So somewhere um, I'm, you know, I can't answer everything, but uh, Waylon at Durango.org is a good way to get a hold of me as well. So email or, or LinkedIn, I'd say. Well, thank you so much, Waylon, for this incredible conversation. I think I, I speak on behalf of Jacqueline, too. I know that we've learned a lot from you from this episode about truly meaningful community engagement. Um, I'm super excited to share this episode with our listeners because it's funny working in tourism. This is one of the requests that I questions I get the most. And I've learned so much from what you're actually doing in practice. So as an academic, I love to tie that. I'm so grateful that you've shared these resources. And I think our our listeners will be excited too. So for more information and info and resources um, from today's episode with Waylon, please visit You're Not Welcome Here podcast. And despite the name of the podcast, remember that you are always welcome here. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week. Thank you.